Hey everybody, it's Adina, also known as Dini the Yogini. Hey, this is Lex from Flex of Lex. This is Dee, your faith fueled mom. What's up, peeps? This is your girl JQ with Fitness Defied. This is Takima from Takima Renee Fitness, and you are listening to the Fit Black Queens Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody is off to a great month. Can you believe we only have two months left in 2020? I cannot believe it. No, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Rest in peace, 2020. Yeah. Rest in Thank forever. you, Jesus. <laughs> Burying you. I don't yeah. know. I think it's going to go in 2021 with some craziness, too. We do not so. need the reincarnation of this craziness. You know, I saw something the other, just this week, about Costco not selling a certain coconut milk brand because the company was using monkeys as labor and wasn't treating the monkeys right and i was like this is 2020 this is crazy (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was fake it was a real story anyway (laughs) so here we are (laughs) here we are in november uh national diabetes month and we have world diabetes day this month as well and as fit black queens we obviously as, as members of the black community we know that diabetes is a, an ongoing conversation, an ongoing challenge, and we've each been touched by it in some way or another. Um, and so we queens thought it would be nice to kick it off, kick off this episode just by sharing a little bit um, about our connection to diabetes. So I'll start. Um, so my grandfather is a diabetic, and I watched him just deteriorate very rapidly when he didn't take care of himself and he ended up passing away with a number of complications that and a lot of which were preventable Um, and he looked healthy on the outside Um, and so that actually is what got my butt in gear to go restart my fitness journey uh, several years ago and start my blog and everything was just watching what happened to my grandfather so anyway that's my strongest connection to diabetes and I wanted to share that oh nice well I think my strongest connection to diabetes is that um I have type 2 diabetes and I wore an insulin pump for seven years before I decided to get it together so the importance of diabetes and the awareness of it is super special and personal for me as well So my connection is I come from a family that had a history of diabetes. And I know that universal blue circle is the symbol for national diabetes, but I had a family that never exercised. So it wasn't until I met my husband that I really started kicking things in gear because it just became more of a problem and my mom is now gone and my stepbrother's gone and they both had diabetes, um, type two diabetes, um, mellitus. And so it was just a wake up call for me. Yeah. I can, like, I feel very close to Dina's story. Like 
my mom had diabetes. Um, I have siblings, uncles, cousins, and you can go down the line, but um, diabetes is just one of the things that caused her to pass at such a young age. She was in her thirties. You know, she had a two, my youngest sister was two at the time, but um, I remember growing up thinking like, I want to make sure that I can, the things that I can control um, such as my eating and my fitness level, I want to make sure that I can I do as much as I can. So I do not have to be in the same position as some of my family members. But um, that's why I'm so excited for this conversation today. But overall, di like diabetes in the Black community is, is a large thing that we need to think about. I agree, Takima. Um... I'm hearing all your stories. I'm just thinking of so many family members who have diabetes right now. Um, and also the last two years, I've actually lost two people very close to me, my grandfather and um, my, God, um, my brother's godmother due to diabetes. And it's one of those things that I think education is key um, and just knowing and making um, better choices every day and just encouraging those loved ones that you have in your life to um, choose different and showing them other options. And so I'm really excited to bring on Alexis Newman today. She is a registered um, dietitian and she is, her bio, let me just read her bio because it's, I love um, how she put, puts um, dieting and all those things. So in a society where the footprint of diet culture is prevalent, diversity and inclusivity in the wellness industry in debunking diet, myth, diet myths is crucial. Alexis helps professional women gain control of emotional eating, learn how to reduce food cravings, and build confidence in the skin they are in. She is a registered dietitian who is currently providing private nutrition counseling. She loves to help her clients think outside of the box and find their inner voice to help them thrive. And what I also love about Alexis is she's a dear friend of mine, and she's an absolutely amazing woman, um, but she also has type 1 diabetes. So she has lived um, as a diabetic most her whole life, right? Um, and not only does she live it every day, but she also serves and helps others um, support their diabetes. So um, Alexis, say hi. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. Um, diabetes really is what started my um, passion for nutrition. Um, so I think it's been a full circle for me to be able to be here talking about it and really giving education about something that I am so passionate about. That is awesome. I think we should honestly start from the beginning because I mean, we all have been affected through diabetes, but I just for the listener who might not know, can you give us like a breakdown? What's the type one mean? The type two A1C, there's so many of these acronyms. Could you just kind of give us a foundation of what diabetes is? Sure, sure. So about 415 million people struggle with diabetes. Um, of that number, about 90% of them have type 2 diabetes. So the majority of individuals with diabetes, they are type 2. Um, so what is diabetes? So there's um, an organ called the pancreas, and there are a set of cells that create insulin. So when you think about insulin, you want to think about it as the key that unlocks the cell to let the sugar into your bloodstream. So for type 2, your body either makes too much insulin and your body doesn't recognize it's there. For some folks, 
Um, they don't make enough insulin at all. And for others, it's a mixture of the both. Um, for type 1 diabetes, which that's what I have, I was diagnosed when I was 18 months old. Um, I'll be celebrating 37 years with diabetes um, this January. And what happened was my um, immune system destroyed my insulin making cells when I was 18 months old. So type one is an autoimmune disease where your body sees the organ as a invader and attacks it and it kills off the cells. Um, there's a lot of other different types of diabetes, believe it or not. There's something called latent autoimmune diabetes where it's also an autoimmune disease, but it happens when you're either in your late 30s um, and you eventually will need insulin. Um, there is, of course, the gestational diabetes, which happens due to pregnancy. You're around, I want to say, week 24 to week 28. That's when gestational diabetes shows up. Um, and then there's different genetic types of diabetes. So Moody is one. There's another one called cystic fibrosis um, diabetes. So there's a lot of different types. But the majority of folks who have it have type 2. Um, in terms of diagnosis of like, how do we know if we have diabetes? I know you mentioned um, the hemoglobin A1C, which really that is just an average blood sugar for the last three months. And so typically for a normal A1C, it's um, around a four or a five. Um, I hear often a lot of my clients, they're pre-diabetic, they're really trying to prevent the onset of type two. And that's an A1C between 7 point, I'm sorry, 5.7 to 6.4. And um, you get diagnosed with diabetes regardless if you're type 1 or type 2, if you have an A1C above 6.5. So when someone is going to the doctor for their physical, and mm -hmm. let's say they're concerned because they have a family history of diabetes, how do they make that request to their doctor to find out if they're pre-diabetic or what their numbers are? How do, they, how do they find that information out? Yeah, so you can always ask your um, doctor for um, lab work and you can ask for a fasting blood sugar and also um, an A1C to be drawn. So I have a question, um, topping off of what Alexis said, um, I've had all of those things done just because of the family history, mm -hmm. but also I was told that, and can you tell me if this is myth or is this fact? Mm -hmm. When your urine smells a little bit like nail polish, then it needs to, uh, is it nail polish or nail polish remover? I can't remember which one, but it's a concern because of the something with the urine. Have you heard anything of that nature? Um, I've heard, what I've heard is your breath smells fruity. Mm. I haven't heard the urine. Yeah, I've been reading a little bit because because of the family history, I just did certain things that I'm just reading about. Yeah. And they said when your urine has like a- It's like I'm an like, ammonia smell? Mm, no, it's more like nail polish uh, mm. smell. I'm, I'm trying to think where I read that. I don't know if it was on WebMD or something, but mm. I wanted to just kind of either dispel it or is that fact? Right. Um, I haven't heard of that. That doesn't mean that's not true. But usually is when um, you can smell someone's breath and that's a sign of ketones. Your body is burning fat for energy. 
instead of um, using your sugar. And if you smell that, um, that could be a sign that you are, the sugars are a little bit running high. Mm. Yeah. And I guess right now, I guess it's a good time to really talk about what some symptoms are, because I think that's a good question. Yeah. And like, like, what are the symptoms? And um, for my diagnosis, I had like all the symptoms. I was 18 months and I was thirsty all the time, um, going to the bathroom all the time, unexplained bedwetting. That was me at 18 months unwanted um, or unexplained weight loss, um, less energy, like I said, the fruity smelling breath, blurred vision, stomach pain, nausea or vomiting, loss of consciousness and rapid and heavy breathing. And a lot of times, especially with older people who are being diagnosed with type one, typically the doctors think it's a cold or a flu and it's misdiagnosed and that can be very deadly. Um, so it's important that we are aware of the signs and symptoms of diabetes, regardless of the type. Yeah, that's kind of how my story was. I was an adult when I found out I had uh, type 2 diabetes, but um, I kept thinking I had halitosis because I was smelling my own breath. Like it was really stinky. And so when I went to the doctor and one of my annuals and I was tired all the time and I was on the opposite end of the scale, I had gained like 30 pounds in a matter of like six months, literally 30 pounds in a matter of six months. And he just kept telling me it was halitosis. And, um, you know, granted this was 20 years ago, but then versus now, then you had to have specific tests just for diabetes. And so now, based on what you're saying, we can go to our doctor and specifically ask for these tests, or is it something that, you know, um, is it something that we have to go to a special doctor for? So you can go straight to your primary care doctor. It's a lab that they're allowed to pull. At least I think, typically, if you don't have diabetes, it's once a year. If you have diabetes, it's every three to six months that it's drawn. I think it's interesting that you shared that, you know, weight loss could have, could be one of the symptoms because I think when we talk about diabetes, a lot of people think that everyone's overweight and, you know, thin people or active fit people can't be diabetic and, and that's not true, right? That's not true. I mean, um, in my fittest of times, which I'm not that fit right now, I'm working on it though. Um, People would say, oh, you don't look like you're diabetic. And I'm like, well, what does diabetes look like? You know, and the reality is, is that you can be skinny or smaller and be unhealthy. And you can be at a heavier body size and be healthy. Um, weight in itself is not an indicator of health. We have to look at other indications. And um, I even have friends who were initially um, diagnosed as type 2 who are really type one, but because they quote unquote look like a type two diabetic, um, the doctors wouldn't give them the test they needed in order for the correct um, diagnosis. Wow. So I think it's important, especially um, as people, especially African-Americans um, to talk about these myths so that people aren't afraid or feel um, discriminated against if they think they may have diabetes, they may not go and get tested because they may be afraid or you know, embarrassed. 
Can yeah. you explain why it impacts our community so much? Ah, oh, yes, it's, <laughs> um, so I kind of have to talk about how I practice nutrition and dietetics. So I come from um, that mindset that I look at my clients as a person. I don't come at them assuming that because there's, they look a certain way, um, I'm very um, health um, focused rather than weight and focus like that. So I think from what I know is that um, it has a lot to do with increased stressors. I think that um, it also has to do with um, genetics plays a huge role. Um, we're finding even with type two diabetes that it's more of a genetic factor than just you're overweight and you're not moving your body. Um, my dad has type two diabetes and he's one of the active, most active men I know. He, don't, he doesn't go to the gym, but he's a hard worker like mowing yards. And um, now he's like taking stuff down in the backyard. He's just really an active man and he has type two and it's, it's in our family. Um, so I think that it just genetics, I think stressors, we know with the racial tensions, what's going on here. Um, we're under a lot of stress and stress really plays a huge role on our bodies. And actually stress is a, a risk factor for type two diabetes. Um, but we don't really focus on that. We talk about your weight only and, you know, those types of things. I think these are all key things that you're speaking about. Um, and I just think it just really touches home for a lot of us. Um, that either have family members or have experienced it. Um, and you're debunking a lot of the myths for me that I personally have heard. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that you're here tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I actually have a um, question for you. I was in the gym the other day and um, I heard this guy yell out, I think he was talking to his client. He was a personal trainer as well. And he said, there's no such thing as pre-diabetes. And I remember just looking at him first. He was screaming in the gym. I'm like, why are you doing this? Um, but the other thing was just like, is that a myth? Because I always heard I'm pre-diabetic and things are pre-diabetes. And it was my first time ever hearing someone say that. Mm -hmm. So I think that... Um, it, they have captured um, elevated blood sugar. So they, and I think that's kind of what's happening is that they notice like people's A1Cs slowly start to creep up. So if they can catch that before it's at a diabetes stage, then they can um, help prevent diabetes. So I think that's where that has come from. So I think that can someone have a slightly elevated A1C and never develop type 2 diabetes? I think so. Um, but it's a, just another indicator of potentially going down a, a certain road in terms okay. of your... Mm -hmm. What I found out, Alexis, is that when I went to get my colonoscopy, that when you go into a medical procedure, if you have diabetes, you're treated differently. And I'm not saying it in a bad sense. They have to reroute your plan for care and anything yeah. with diabetes, whether it's through fitness, medical care, everything has to be rerouted and created. Mm 
Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just because for every um, medical procedure, there could be temp, um, potential risk in terms of the healing process. So they like to see an A1C. Typically, if you need to do like um, a surgery or something, an A1C below eight, because that tends to help reduce your risk for infection. It helps reduce your length of stay afterwards. So there is um, a correlation between blood sugar and healing. And you talk a little bit from your sort of nutrition background, Mm -hmm. um, what people can do when they're in that, you know, in that area where it could go one way or the other. What are some things they could do to lower those numbers? Mm -hmm. So I think I I tend to like to focus on um, managing stress first. So figuring out like what are your stressors? How do you respond to stress? How can you reduce stress? Um, I think that's key because having elevated um, stress, it increases your hormones and that can elevate your blood sugars alone. Like if I'm having a really stressful day, my blood sugars can be anywhere between 50 points to 100 points higher. I walk a little bit, I do some meditation and it will naturally just go down. There's been times where I go into my acupuncture appointment slightly elevated, I'm relaxed, and then I end up leaving at a low blood sugar because of just being so relaxed. So it's huge. So it's really important to manage stress. Next, um, of course, I'm a dietitian, so I'm going to focus on the nutrition aspect of it. So um, I really like using the my plate food model. So you can eat any culture food, any types of seasonings, any types of flavors using my plate. I love that thing. It's just amazing. So the idea is you want half your plate vegetables. So anything from broccoli, cauliflower, collard greens, asparagus, anything like that. Um, The size of the palm of your hand protein. So fish, chicken, If you're vegetarian, tofu, beans, lentils, the size of the palm of your hand, and then no more than a fist of carbohydrates. So whether it's rice, pasta, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, plantains, like anything, um, starting with a fist and eat that very slowly and mindfully. And the idea is that it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for your brain and your stomach to communicate that you're full. And... If you're still hungry after 20 to 30 minutes, eat a little bit more mindfully. But I really like that as your go-to starting place. And then, of course, exercise is key. Um, Trying to, even if you go for a walk, like that can drop your blood sugar 15 to 20 points. And I'm not talking about a brisk walk. I'm talking about slow 10, 15, 20-minute walk can significantly reduce your blood sugar. So those are what I like to focus on. Can I ask a question? So yesterday I ran 15 point something miles, right? I was only supposed to do 13, but I ended up doing 15. And in between that, I took a break to have um, a banana Mm -hmm. and that's it. And then I had some uh, high performance uh, pre-energy thing, but you know what? I wasn't really hungry to start off. I don't like to eat before I run because I just feel like things start sloshing around But to refuel my body, and I know this is not good to say, but I had some Aki and saltfish, 
green bananas and dumplings and a Johnny cake because I was so hungry after I finished. Mm-hmm. I know that wasn't the right thing to replenish my body with, but what would you recommend um, to have? Um, to me, that honestly sounds fine because you had protein, you had carbs, and especially when you're running long distance, you need to restore your glycogen. So you're going to need a higher carb meal after running and refueling in the middle with um, a simple source of um, carbohydrates. So like banana, or you could do honey, um, like a fruit pack of like applesauce or something like that, just so that your body doesn't have to focus on digesting. Um, and it makes sense why you wouldn't want to eat beforehand because your body is gearing up to run. So your body is thinking like, oh man, I need to run this. Like, I'm not going to have time to digest this food. So, I mean, sounds like you did good to me. Yeah. It just, it, it, thank you. That's really helpful because I, I really did kind of gourmandize a little bit on the Jamaican food. So Takima <laughs> can relate to what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> now I have a I question. Mean, mm-hmm. So as fitness professionals, um, how can we encourage our clients that have expressed to us that have diabetes, whether we're in a group fitness class or as a personal trainer, um, what would your suggestion be on ways to support them? I would say always have a quick source of sugar on hand because I know that sometimes I forget or I leave it in the car. And if I knew someone in the gym had like something I could grab real quick for a low blood sugar, like that would be such a reduction in stress. So what would um, you suggest? Like dried fruit, fruit snacks, what would you, yeah, applesauce um, pack? My go-to is applesauce pack because you don't have to chew. You can just kind of gulp it down and it's quick. Um, I also like glucose gel. That's also like a sports gel. That's also helpful. Um, any kind of sports drink, any kind of juice, anything that would be quick to digest. So I have a question for you. We talked about a little bit about prevention or about lowering your numbers, but for the person out there that maybe just finds out that they are, let's say, type two diabetic, Mm -hmm. what is that journey like for them? You know, some people think it's like a death sentence, or you know, what is that journey like? And as a person who's not diabetic, how can we support our family, friends, loved ones, in in helping them make healthy decisions and just supporting them any way they need? I would say just vocalize, let them know, like, hey, um, this is not your fault. We often like to blame the person for a me- medical diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is there's tons of people who eat horrible, who engage in unhealthy <laughs> behaviors, and they don't end up getting type 2 diabetes. And so I think really saying like, hey, this is hard. You know, you're not alone. I'm here to support you. And um, ask them, like, how can I support you in this journey? Because it really is different from person to person. I knew, like, even though I don't have type two, but how support looks now is a lot different compared to how it looked before. So like, (laughs) this is a funny story. I was dating my husband. I just told him I had a high blood sugar. We were at a family dinner and I wanted cake. So I was taking a bite of the cake and he snatches the fork out my mouth. And I, oh, and I was with my family. So I couldn't like yell at him. I had to keep it together. But in the car, I was like, don't you ever 
my mouth. And he's like, but you had a high blood sugar. I'm like, I don't care. Because when I'm high, I'm like very angry. <laughs> FYI, if your loved one has a high blood sugar and they're acting really angry, that's because their blood sugar. Don't take it personal. Um, <laughs> but now we have a, a, like now he addresses me differently. Like he has access to my blood sugars. And so he'll just be like, oh, how are you doing? I noticed you had a high blood sugar. Well, he'll take a picture of it and text it to me. So like how support, support just looks a lot different. So just ask like, hey, how can I support you? This is kind of random, but not really. When um, Dee asked the question of how can we support as like fitness professionals, mm -hmm. my mind automatically went to having a pocket full of butterscotch candy like the old women at church had. And then you said applesauce. And I was like, wait, oh, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking butterscotch candy. <laughs> and I was told fruit snacks. So I'm glad you said the applesauce because you're right. Like you need something that they can Quit. chew. So I actually worked at a um, weight loss prevention center for my very first like job. It was like one of, actually it was not prevention. It was like one of those 10 week, let's lose weight real quick type of program. So basically the, a lot of people who started were morbidly obese. A lot of them had diabetes and a woman went um, into a diabetic shock while we were there. And, and I think that's what made me think, but I think it's because that's all we had on hand. So I'm glad that you said the applesauce because yeah, that makes so more sense. I, I use fruit snacks when I'm low, but when I'm exercising and I want to get back in, into the workout, like chewing that like fruit leather, like brushing <laughs> is kind of like a hazard because I've done it before. <laughs> um, that's the only reason I did I think it's a great low snack, but when you're exercising, it's just a little hard to get down. It's inconvenient. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have a question. How would someone who was recently um diagnosed and they want to start a workout routine what would you suggest for them to do do you think they need to go crossfitting or no. <laughs> like marathon running training okay i was just just making sure <laughs> so what would you suggest because <laughs> i'm like let's go you ready how can we um what would be a, your suggestion for someone who was recently diagnosed to begin a workout routine um i would say for someone who was recently diagnosed, I would say take it slow because your body is healing. Um, having elevated blood sugars for a very, very long time, um, physically it can affect you. You will not feel as well. You may be tired or sluggish. So I just say start slow. So if you going for walks, stretching, if you want to start like some kind of um, actual fitness routine, I would just say start slowly. So if you choose to work with a trainer, start slowly. If you choose CrossFit, just really start some more, very slow. Is there <laughs> such thing? I know. No. I know. <laughs> 50 burpees right now. Um, I have a question because we've talked about adults, but you were diagnosed as a child. So I'm curious about, you know, people whose children have diabetes or, you know, you have friends whose kids are nieces, nephews, what have you, who, um, who, are diabetic, um, what differences are there for kids? Because kids, I feel like they are just naturally more active than adults. They're just busy. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think with regardless of the type or what age of monitoring is very important. So um, making sure you're testing often, um, I think it's, it's harder with kids because you're not with them all the time. Um, 
because you're not, and especially if you're type one recently diagnosed as a child, like you can't just go to a friend's house and not have the family educated about it. So it's going to, I think there's going to need more monitoring, more education for the family and their support system than someone who may be an adult who is diagnosed. So this, this conversation, it can be a little grim sometimes or can churn up a lot of emotions for people, especially if you're thinking about loved ones who've passed. But can you share some success stories, some positive stories about people who, you know, have been living with diabetes and I mean, in addition to yourself, who've Mm -hmm. been living with diabetes and, you know, who it, I don't know, just some positive stories about some clients you've had. Yes, I have tons of positive stories. So um, I was, have volunteered at a diabetes camp um, for a very long time, Keystone Diabetes Camp, woo kids camp. Um, so um, just being in that community um, for so long um, and seeing the kids thrive and the majority of the counselors are all type one. Um, it, that was just beautiful. Um, I ha- I've had to transition from there just because I have a child and it was just hard to keep up, but I was the director of nutrition for that camp for many years. And that was just like, you know, that, the cherry on top of my summer. Um, I have now am participating on the doc, which is the diabetes online community. If you just hashtag doc, um, you're going to see amazing people living with type one diabetes. Um, there is um, woman of color, WOC diabetes. Um, and it's just so many women thriving with type one and type two. Um, there's this Facebook group called Dope Diabetics, my girls. Yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing group. We're all thriving. And if we're not, if we're struggling, we talk, we, we support one another. It's amazing. Like I have a what's up at chat with a whole bunch of other type one um, who are um, biopic, you know, people of color. It's just, it's just amazing. There's a huge community of us and it's a mixture of both type one and type two, um, just because it's important for us to support everybody, you know, like even though the diagnosis is a little bit different um, of how we were diagnosed, but living with it still can be hard and we love supporting one another. So it's amazing. It's a great community. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so important to hear, especially for people who feel like they're doing it alone, Mm -hmm. you know, to know that even if they don't have the support, because everybody doesn't have that positive support system, but even if they don't have a, a, a support system immediately around them, that there are people online who are going through similar experiences and, you know, can help lift them up because there's a lot I, I don't know what your experience has been, but some of the people in my life who have had uh, type 2 diabetes in, in particular, and, you know, it, there's been some depression with some of them. And, you know, th- there's the depression, which spirals with the stress. And, you know, then we're talking about people who are losing their vision or, you know, having surgery to have amputations and, you know, and it just can quickly spiral and so it's really good to hear that there's a community out there who can help support people who don't, so you don't feel like you're alone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I was, um, my daughter is three years old now, but before her, I was 
heavy into CrossFit. I was a huge power lifter. And um, there was a group on um, Facebook that I, it was type one diabetes athletes. And I've met some of my closest friends in there and they're, we're all very fit and active in that group, which is also very important, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it can be dark. I mean, the reality is, is that um, if you have a diabetes diagnosis, most um, do struggle with the anxiety and depression of it all. Um, so it is so important to find community somehow, somewhere. Um, so, cause there's a lot that goes into managing diabetes. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like, we have to think of like a hundred and some extra thoughts per minute or something crazy when we have to like calculate our insulin and the carb counts and, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. So it's a lot going on in my brain <laughs> throughout the day. So. so are there any limitations for a diabetic when they're training? I mean, other than if you're initially starting, you need to take it slow, but like someone who's been living with it and living active life, are they hindered by diabetes or they're just so I, around it? There's nothing that someone with diabetes can't do. It just, there's just a lot more steps that has to be taken in order to be successful. And then reality is, is um, like if you're competing your blood sugars can affect how you're competing. So it's really important to make sure you're monitoring your blood sugars, you're eating on a schedule, you're mm -hmm. sleeping well. Because even if you don't get enough sleep, your blood sugars can be off. And that's with type one and with type two. Um, yeah. I have another question. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend who was type one, very thin woman. Um, and she used to always say she couldn't work out with me because she, was, she had muscle weakness. Like she just like, I'm just not strong. Can you, is that true? Does she just not want to work out with me or was she, does she really have muscle weakness because of her type one diabetes? Well, she might've had other diagnoses along with type one. Um, I know that there are plenty of very strong type one diabetic. Like my heaviest <laughs> deadlift was 275 pounds. Like I was able to squat 186 pounds at my, strongest like now was I your can, blood sugars on point when you were doing this or was there some deviance in your blood sugar? like um, were you really were, like managing it on and eating well I, and sleeping well during the time or mm -hmm. so I was I was managing it well but my blood sugars still were fluctuating a lot okay. so it's so funny I just had a conversation with my um diabetes educator Last week, she's like, this is so interesting. You're walking and doing yoga and you're not weightlifting. What is going on? <laughs> and she was, like, she was like, your numbers are a lot more stable than they were before. Like I had lots of fluctuations, even though I was on top of monitoring, on top of eating well, on top of my sleep, I had crazy fluctuations because of the weightlifting. So it's, it's a lot harder to manage. It's doable, but it's just hard. Well, I mean, powerlifting is it taps out your central nervous system. So I, yes. I can imagine that causing havoc on your hormones and all that going on with your blood sugars as well. Yeah. Um, especially I if you don't recover it, correctly. <laughs> I, you power lifters is a different breed. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they really do love that stuff. And I like to lift heavy, but up to a certain point, I don't want to lift a car. <laughs> yeah. You, you, when I was deep in it, I would like see how many growth. I lived on the 
third floor. I would figure out how many groceries I could carry. And men would be like, do you need help? I'm like, no, I got it. <laughs> so, no, Wait, I, so I, that I, counts as powerlifting now? Because I'm so lazy. I try to do it all in one trip. And I'm going to say I'm powerlifting. Yeah, you're powerlifting. You're powerlifting. <laughs> but you... <laughs> You are saying that that was stressful to your body so you having more low impact um training lifestyle has affected your blood sugars positively i guess Correct. is what you're trying to say mm -hmm. yeah there are a lot i mean there's things they still fucking that you want is if you put your mind to it right i feel like that's for everything and all things exactly um queens do you have any more questions for alexis well, I have a comment, not really a question. I feel like I learned so much. I know to keep applesauce in my backpack. Don't eat them. They're not for me. They're for my diabetic patients, which I have two um, <laughs> clients, not patients. Anyway. And the other thing is you said something about like eating slowly and mindfully. And I felt like I was attacked when you said that because um, <laughs> I don't eat mindfully at all. So I put that on, I like made a note really big that I have to do that in my life. So thank you, Alexis. <laughs> yeah, I um, also thank you too. I work a lot with diabetics and then being diabetic myself, but something that just like a light bulb went off in my head too. I just realized I used to be heavy into powerlifting, like doing competitions and it just dawned on me that might've been the reason why I would be suffering from so many diabetic headaches when I was in full season training. And so that, that correlation to lifting heavy and the fluctuation is so major. Um, and I'm sure maybe there are a lot of athletes out there who probably need to do a little bit more research uh, when it comes to that, that are diabetic, because like you said, so many different things that we do, we think it's healthy, but being diabetic makes it totally different on a totally different scope. Mm -hmm. So that was great information. And I appreciate you that. Appreciate you for bringing that to light. Oh, thank you. So Alexis, I'm grateful for you today. Um, just shedding, you know, some light on so many different things. I usually carry like a little container of applesauce and 12 almonds for my midday snack. I learned that from my nutritionist, you know, take that and that kind of, kind of will sustain you a little bit, but I just have to do better when I'm doing running. I have another race in December and it's a 10 miler. So I'm trying to figure out gauging my eating before and then my eating after just to make sure that I'm right on point and I'm not slamming my glycogen levels. So I just wanted to thank you for just every all the information you just shared i'm some might say i'm biased because i think alexis's are great people um <laughs> but i just wanted to thank you and you know just for sharing it and especially the part about you know just the support system and letting people know the different resources that are out there um you know if there's any queens that that need to be guided towards some resources i'm sure we can um, connect them with you or uh, someone in their area um, to put them on the right track so they don't feel like they're alone. Dee, I think you wanted to say something. Well, I'm all, I'm grateful for both of you, Alexis's. I, you, <laughs> both of you, I feel like are part of my daily life somehow anyway, so that's kind of cool that you guys are here together. Alexis, I would love for you to share where people can connect with you um, outside of this podcast. Okay, yeah, so um, you can find me 
um, for diabetes advocacy on um, Instagram at Lady Lex, so L-A-D-I-E-L-E-X. Please don't joke me on that. That's from when I was younger and I just haven't changed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then on my um, professional nutrition page where I do more education, I do more um, discussion on being African-American and the nutrition aspect of things um, on Alexis M. Newman. So A-L-E-X-I-S-M Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N. And we'll definitely share that in our show notes. Sorry, Alexis, can you repeat your IG handle again, please? Sure. My IG handle is Lady Lex, L-A-D-I-E-L-E-X. And that's where I do my diabetes advocacy. And then my professional nutrition page is Alexis M. Newman. Great. So thank you again. Um, for sharing all of this wealth of information with our listeners and with all of us. Um, and for anyone who's listening, check, please check our show notes for details about how to get in touch with the lovely Alexis Newman. So if you have any questions, please hit us up on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have our Facebook Insider Group. So hopefully you join us there and get engaged in the conversation. And please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, Anchor, Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until next time, Queens, toodaloo. Bye. 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 Bye.